coach. Let's find out if you're ready for love. Here's your marvelous host, Nikki Lee. And welcome to Ready for Love Radio. This is your host and love coach, Nikki Lee. Today, I'm going to take you back to the beginning of 2009. This is an interview I did the first week of January. We're going to talk about a novel that was released by Phyllis Schieber. And it's called, you're going to love this, The Sinner's Guide to Confession. Now, this is the story of three women, their deepest longings, and their most profound secrets. It's the story of Barbara, Kay, and Ellen. They're longtime friends. They're inseparable. But each woman has her own secrets. One is a widowed mother. She hides the secret that she's a writer of erotica. Kay is having an extramarital affair, and she hasn't told her friends. Ellen has lost her husband to a younger woman, and that younger woman is now pregnant. This is a blow to Ellen because her and her, her husband have never been able to conceive. But she also hasn't told her best friends that she gave up her baby girl when she was only 16. What will happen when they each find out these secrets? Let's talk to Phyllis and find out. So Phyllis has written a book, and if this title doesn't grab your attention, I, I give up. <laughs> name of the book is The Sinner's Guide to Confession. Isn't that great? That is such an awesome title. So Phyllis, tell us, tell us first of all how in the world you came up with that title, because it definitely grabs your attention. Well, I can't take full credit for the title, though. It, it is taken from... Um, something that occurs in the book. It was really my agent's uh, uh, genius to uh, think of that title. But there's a there's a, a scene in the book where um, um, a woman is is reading a uh, pamphlet that's called A Sinner's Guide to Confession, and one of the characters in the book sees it, and it sort of is a one of those stories that sort of sets the tone for the whole. I hesitate to use the word theme, but the concept of the book, the idea that Everyone has secrets. True. Well, and I mean, you, you, you just you can't tell people everything about yourself. You got to be a little mystery there. So, <laughs> so tell us a little. And we're we're actually going to talk about each of the. There are three main female characters in the book, and we're going to delve into each one of them in a little bit more detail very soon. But first, let's kind of talk about the the writing process. What kind of a writing process do you use, Phyllis? I wish I could say something really fantastic to that question. but Or should I ask if there's a writing process? <laughs> that, that would probably be a better question. Um, my process in, in, in the way that I write is probably not terribly organized. I sort of, I, I always feel like I'm holding on to the, the tail of, you know, uh, of, a, of, of some animal, you know, being pulled along, you know, and that, that's how I write. You know, so it's I I just write, and as as I write, ideas and the story become stronger, and things evolve, and that's how I take. Then that's when I begin to really take, you know, very copious notes. Um, but I don't I don't do much in terms of the preliminary. I mean, I have an idea for a story. The thing that I do is that I really do develop my characters beforehand, not necessarily in terms of. Um, 
not necessarily in terms of how they're going to behave in the in the book, but everything about them, how they look, what religion they have, where they went to school, their friends, their likes, their dislikes. Even if I don't use all the information, um, it gives me a way, sort of like a character sketch, it gives me a way to visualize the characters. And that's about as much process as you'll get out of me. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't, I don't think we actually would or should use everything that we as the author know about the character. But it, it makes it so much easier for us to make them three-dimensional exactly. and authentic and realistic when we know all that back stuff. I've, I've been yeah. reading um, How to Write a Damn Good Mystery for the last couple of days. I've been waiting for years, and I finally splurged and bought it the other day. Mm-hmm. And, and he, he says that, and, and he even does like a, a storyboard, and, and it's all the stuff that, that – we as the author knows happening behind the scenes, and then he's got on the other page what the reader actually finds out. Right. And it's really cool to kind of look at that, because, I mean, I do it in my brain when I'm working, but to right. see somebody actually put it on paper was, was kind of interesting, because there there's so many things happening that is going to impact the story, but the reader doesn't need to know everything. It's right. one of those secret kind of things, right? Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it's such a, <laughs> such a handy way of getting to know your character. On right. so many levels, because you know that you know where one went to school, one's religion, one's relationship, all those things create who all of them make them more real. Right, exactly. So that's exactly. that's really what I do. The rest of it, I just kind of hang on to the tail of that tiger, you know, and, and, and hope for the best. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> well, I learned I learned fairly early on from um, I studied writing with this um, wonderful teacher Hayes Jacobs at the New School in the in Manhattan. And he used to always tell me to push on through to the end. And I I found that to be really, that was a really, you know, major advice for me as a young writer, to just push on through to the end, because otherwise you're going to keep rewriting that chapter 500 times. You know, and, and if you push on through to the end, then you go back. That's when the real work begins, the, the revision process, the making sure that all the, all the, you know, I's are crossed and the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and that everything seems you know, that it is that the work is seamless. But if you don't push on through to the end, you never get done. Well, you know what I found that, that even when I do edit a chapter to death and I go to the next one and edit that to, to the point where me and it just can't stand each other anymore, right. you're still going to go back and make changes at the end. So why right. not just get the whole thing down and then go, well, what I do is though I, I keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, but then I actually make notes for like things that I think of that are going to have to change in like one or two or three exactly. or four. You know, that way, exactly. that way, the, the brainstorm isn't gone, <laughs> but right. but you're also not taking the time to go back and make all those little tiny changes. Exactly. You know, exactly. in the meantime, and I tell you what, when you when you freelance and you start writing for a living, and, and that's the only way you're going to eat and make the mortgage, you have to change your whole writing strategy at that point. Exactly. When the person says, "I want this researched, finished, and edited in three months," it's a whole mm-hmm. different ballgame. Yeah, no, so that's very that's different in writing fiction. Certainly different than writing fiction. Well, and writing just because you want to write is a whole different, so much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think that authors have a responsibility to the readers? And if so, what do you think that responsibility is? Well, I don't know that I have a responsibility to my readers other than to be the best writer I can be. I mean, when I write, I, I, I I really write to please myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I don't. I don't really write for 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 the readers. You know, it's if I don't write it for myself, you know, I don't think it's worth anybody else reading. So I think that's my my responsibility to to readers. And I and I want I want readers to have the same experience that I have as a reader, which is you know when I read something you know by an author, 
I love or by a new author and there's a line that, you know, I just have to sort of stop and say, well, gee, that's perfect. You know, right. that's exactly how I, how, how it feels. I mean, I would like to be able to give that to, to my, to my readers. Even if it's only once, I'd like to be able to give that to my readers. <laughs> Well, you know, I talk to people that don't want to promote their work. They just want to write. And I'm like, well, that's fine. But I write because, first of all, I want to tell the story, but I want to tell it to someone. <laughs> you know, I want somebody exactly. else to read it. Yeah, and well, that of course. doesn't of seem course. to happen without some work. <laughs> so. Of course. Yeah, I mean, you know that, you know, I mean, it's what, what, what feels better than when someone says, oh, I loved your, your book. Or I really, exactly. you know, love that character. I mean, of course, you're you're aware of the audience that's there. I mean, you want to have an impact, you know, on 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 people. But when for for the writing, I I have to really, you know, keep that close to me. So Very that's true. that's where I see my responsibility. I tell you what, I don't think any of us are ever going to get, forget the first message when somebody said they loved our work. Yes. <laughs> you know? so, Absolutely. Or even to I think do. of it as work. That's that's a big thing, too, for a writer. You know, I mean, there's a wonderful story that um, Ann Tyler um, uh, um, tells that, you know, here's this, you know, extraordinary writer who I believe, you know, won the Pulitzer, I think, for, for breathing lessons. And she was, you know, waiting at the bus stop to either pick up her two daughters or to see them off. And she ran into a neighbor, you know, who, a neighbor she hadn't seen in some time. And the neighbor said, oh, Anne, it's great to see you. Are you working yet or are you just still writing? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a I wonderful know, I know. story. That's a wonderful story. You know, so the, being, you. being taken seriously as a as a writer, even if you're not, you know, one of the, you know, the most famous authors in the world is is a big thing, I think. I tell you, and that that seems to be hard for some reason. Well, you know, when you can always tell when you meet somebody and you tell them you're an author, mm-hmm. you can. I pretty much know if they they love to read or not because if they don't love to read, they're like, oh yeah, writer. But if they love to read, they're like, oh my goodness, you know, and it's, yes. it's they understand what an accomplishment it is. Yes, yes, that's one. It's a one. That's wonderful when that happens. It is. It is. It's just well, it's like you know, you go to writers' events and, and you spend the whole day talking about your books. What is better than that? <laughs> <laughs> and we even make a few bucks sometimes too. So mm-hmm. yeah. So we we sort of covered this, but what what are a couple of your favorite things about writing? Oh, hmm. Um, well, when it's good, when the writing is going well, there's mm-hmm. nothing like it. There's True. just it's it's exhilarating, you know. I mean, and that feeling of you know looking at the page <laughs> and thinking, huh, I did that. That's exactly. Damn good. You know that's that's a that's a pretty wonderful feeling. I I like that a lot. Um, I also I love the ability to to tell a story and to make sense of something for myself because for me writing is making sense of the world in some way. So for me it's right. like a it's it's a puzzle. It's and I am terrible at puzzles when my. When my son was small and I did diff- or putting things, you know, in boxes. I mean, it's just a nightmare for me. I would leave everything like close to the box that something came, and so when my husband came home, he could put it away because I couldn't fit the pieces together. Um, but I can do- fit the pieces together in writing. Right. So that well, you know, it, it that- is a puzzle. Yeah. There's, I mean, I can I can so make the pieces. pieces. Yeah, I can make the pieces come together in my writing in a way that I can't make them come together in any other part of my life. So I awesome. love that. And um and um I love 
I love people enjoying my work. I love creating something that that can move someone, that can make someone laugh or make someone cry. That's exactly. that's a wonderful feeling. That's well, and, you know, when when somebody says, you know, I, I read your your book, and and I just, and this, especially when they really connect with a character, you know, some topic in the book or a character or some some element of it just really rings true for them, or just really just means something. It's just such an awesome feeling. So, yeah. So what, is there anything in particular that sparks your creativity for you? <clears throat> um, real life. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think three times over the weekend I said to either my husband or to my son or to the people we were with, you know, that you really don't have to go far to get material. I mean, when True. you hear stories about, like, you know, funerals that were extra, you know, like really bizarre, you know, um, you know, events or or conversations or family, family is just, you know, endless. <laughs> it's an endless source of material. Um, so I get inspiration from that, but I do get a lot of inspiration from something that I read, like in the newspaper or a line that catches my attention or a, a feeling or a conversation I overhear. That's really, I think, where most of my inspiration comes from. And I'm, you know, of course, always, you know, they say it's terrible to be friends with a writer because nothing is sacred, you know. I, you can use everything. You can use everything. And I, I think I use just about everything in my in my environment. I think I'm I mindful and observant in a way. Well, I do. I think I think we see people in a whole different dimension than other people do because you're you're because I mean, how many people do you meet? Or like, like I mean, I, I live in a small town, but when when I go to a larger area and there's just people and things happening everywhere, there's just mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like creativity overload. Because yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, so many right there. Yeah, so many so many things to Definitely. notice, so many things to observe, so many conversations to overhear. You know, it's it's. It's pretty extraordinary. That's what I said. It's all right out there. One is no longer what an unusual person is like, what a cool character. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. You never never know where the inspiration is going to come from. That's right. Absolutely. I tell you. Um, What about Sinner's Guide to Confession makes the book special for you personally? Well, as as a... as a writer, or as a, in, in you mean terms of the structure of the book, or the yeah. the feelings it evokes, um, the whole the whole thing. Yeah, the whole may, maybe not the the structure, but more the the content. How about that? Well, I think the concept is special to me because it, I think we really don't know everything about any you know the people that we think we're the closest to. You don't really always, you know, or you don't generally know everything about anyone. And I, I know in my own experience, there are things I hold very close to me, you know, that I don't that I don't share with others. And I think some element of that comes out in the book in varying degrees. The idea that it's very hard to really open up, and I think most people have a very difficult time doing that. It's a risk. I think it's very risky. It's true. Well, true. I was going to ask least, you why, why you think people do that, but that's that's a good reason. Yeah, I mean, at least well, people and, think it's risky because probably more often than not, the the keeping of the secret becomes more important than the secret itself. It takes a lot to shock people today. 
<laughs> so I think that there are things that people are, are just not as phased, perhaps, as they used to be by things. You know, we've, we've, we hear so much about each other. I mean, it's like that idea, the whole idea of reality TV. I mean, God, do we really need to know that much about a person? That's there more or less no how I, I feel. Know that much about them. Yeah. <laughs> do we really want to know that? I mean, I think we live in an, in a, in a, you know, an era of knowing so much about each other that's just too much information. So, Definitely. Yeah. Well, I know, I know a couple times when, when something I've, I've kept buried for years and I finally did, you know, come out and, and tell, like, close family members, the reaction was not what I needed or wanted. And I'm like, right. you know, next time I just keep it to myself. You know? Right, exactly. Sometimes keeping it to yourself is easier than, than right. sharing it and, and needing something that you're not getting. So, exactly. I don't know. I think, there's, I think there's a lot of good reasons why we, we keep certain things to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So... When you were writing the book or, or first thinking of, of this book, who, what target audience did you have in mind? Who did you see as potential, the perfect readers for this book? I think most of my work is targeted pretty much to women. I, I think women are, you know, probably relate to my work better than, than men. But I, I, I think it's probably safe to say that my books are, um, you know, written mostly with a, an audience of women in mind you know women you know in their in their 30s 40s 50s probably in you know, the late late 30s but definitely you know for women my age you know contemporaries you know a few 10 years before 10 years back you know whatever but certainly right. that would be a, the 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 reader who might be the most enthusiastic about my work now, like I mentioned, there are three main women that the story focuses around, uh, Barbara, Kay, and Ellen. Do right. you want to pick one and kind of tell us a little bit about her? Sure. I can might as well start with Barbara. Barbara is probably the most no-nonsense character in the book. She's a mother of uh, three. She's widowed fairly recently, and she writes romance novels. And but she has a a career writing erotica that she has never told anyone about, and she writes under an, under a, you know a, a, a pen name. Mm-hmm. So she's um, pretty sharp tongued, I think, and pretty <laughs> strong. I'd say she's probably the strongest character of of the three women. I like her. She does seem to be the the most no nonsense. She's down to earth. She's she's you know much more. Um, you know what she's going to do and how she's going to react to things, and well, until she tells them all about her secret writing career. But, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, so what? What about Barbara? Do you think makes her memorable to the reader? I think she's very genuine, except of course for the secret that she that she keeps. I think she she's honest. I think she's honest in the in the way that the other two she's she's more honest than the other two characters. She really says what's on her mind. And I think it's True. I think it's it's refreshing to know people like that. That would make her certainly someone, you know, readers would either, you know, aspire to be like or think they're like or, you know, I think she's a strong character. I think I think she's also a little bit more tactful when she's honest. It seems that, like, Kay may be a little bit more um, blunt when she's being honest. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just how she came across to me. Yeah. I think, well, she's a, she's a therapist. Therapists can be fairly, you know, blunt at the, you know, at the appropriate time. 
And she, Kay is, you know, Kay is very different than Barbara. She's also, you know, um, married and has grown children, and she has a mother who figures quite, you know, significantly in the book, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Gertie. And their relationship in the book, I think, becomes um, not a focus of the book as much as a, a subplot of the book, how Kay navigates her relationship with her mother. And Kay has a, um, I would say, not a complicated relationship with her husband, but it's it's it can be disappointing. And that disappointment sort of, you know, pushes her into the arms of another man. And that becomes her secret. She's she's different, Kay. She's more she's I wouldn't say she's more complex than Barbara, but she's maybe she is more complex. Maybe she's more introspective. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. She's a more introspective character. It could be. Okay, so tell us a little bit about Ellen. Ellen is the younger of the three. Right. Ellen is in her 40s, and she meets Barbara. This is all, you know, what we don't see. And Barbara sort of brings her into this little triangle with uh, with Kay, and they become very close. Ellen sort of becomes the main character of this book, um, although that wasn't my intention. And that's ex- this goes back to the uh, concept of process, because as I was writing the book, it became evident to me that of the three women, Ellen's secret is the most profound. Sure. So consequently, that that gives her a prominence in the book as the book progresses, and it becomes very much more her story, but the two other women, they're sort of you know drawn into this so that not that their secrets are not as, you know, take, their secrets take a lesser position. It's sort of, okay, we're done with that, and now let's, let's take care of Ellen, who has been forced to, had been forced to give up a child at birth by her, by her parents in an era when such a thing was quite common. And interestingly enough, I just as an aside, as I do readings, um, book clubs, I've done a few, few book clubs, I, I, always meet women who have a story to tell me either about someone close to them or even about um, a sibling you know or you know or um, an acquaintance who they know was forced to give up a child in this you know late 50s early 60s era right. so um, Ellen that's Ellen's secret and the 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 desire to reconnect with this uh, child becomes, who's now, you know, in her 30s, of course, becomes more and more, um, becomes stronger and stronger. And Kay and, and Barbara, they, they unite to help Ellen find this long-lost child. So Ellen is is independent but needy. She's a she's sort of always a... a um, a contrast of elements you know she's 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 very capable and yet sometimes i found her too passive and so she's she's an interesting character and she has a lot of family baggage that also seems to take a sort of focus of the book and create some interesting situations and she has a terrible terrible mother a terrible mother i had a, a she really does 
She has a terrible mother. And I had a person tell me recently that uh, Alice, Ellen's mother, reminded her of her own mother. And that made me so sad. <laughs> I'll tell you. My great. so sad. She's a terrible, terrible mother. She's a really? terrible mother. Yeah. We, I, was, I was going through my, my questionnaire that I use when I'm going to interview people, and I have a section for the villain, and I wrote down Ellen's mother. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a very very good point. Yeah, she could definitely be a villain. She's a terrible person. She's a loveless person. Yeah, she's, and it was sort of fun to write her. Well, you know, I I've got it, it, for some reason all the mother-in-laws in my books end up being horrible, and um and but you know well I I've got one book in particular and the mother-in-law is I mean she's just she's. She makes everybody else's look beautiful. She is just unbelievable in the things that she does. And actually, I'm getting ready to rewrite that story, and I'm really enjoying getting back to, to writing her again. She might even have a bigger part in the next time I'm around. Who knows? <laughs> well, it's interesting because when you, when you hear actors ask the question about you know, playing the role of a villain, it's, it's, it's really fun. You know, it is. They feel it's really fun. So it's kind of this you know, cathartic opportunity to be really villainous, you know, and create this really despicable character. And it's very liberating. Cause yeah, you can, it is you can very be, liberating. You can be and do anything when you're writing that person, because, you know. Right. That's right. That's but, I mean, just, it, I, I thoroughly, the first time I, I started writing, her name was Mrs. Stevens, and I actually named her Hilda. I had to name my first villain after, you know, Hilda the Witch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, this is just such an awesome way to blow off steam and stress and man. So, yeah. anyway. Well, then I started writing her backstory, and, and one way I could go with it, you'd feel sympathetic toward her, and one way you wouldn't, and we'll kind of throw out that plan. <laughs> so... No, I think you always but, uh, have to have some element of sympathy. I mean, you know, that yeah. just really goes back to the, you know, to the whole, you know, Greek notion of, you know, creating that villain. If if he's too completely bad, nobody can relate to him. I mean, it can be something really small, like, you know, the fragility of a person's, you know, body or, you know, whatever it is. Some some tiny some tiny component that makes it evident that this person does have some shred of humanity, but that it's just been so you know, discarded. It's, uh, so this was going to be too much sympathy, though, and I couldn't have that much sympathy for her. No, so. no, no, no. No, never. No, not that much. <laughs> so. <laughs> too, much. So what? too much is no good. Exactly. Not, not for the bad, bird, bad mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what's the most memorable things about Kay, do you think? For the reader, um, what... I think that I think that Kay is a character readers will will relate to because in the end um, in the end she she understands she she forgives herself mm-hmm. and I, I think that's that's a, an important thing and she she well, I don't want to give too away too much of the story but in the end she she makes she makes a, she makes responsible choices right and and i think that it's you know not not that necessarily the choice the choice was hers to make that's very uh, uh, guarded way to put it but we know we know right. that she that she we know who she is as a person Right. Well, and I think she knows at the end. Yes. I think there for a while she wasn't sure who she was. Right. So, adventure kind of does that to us sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's a little distracted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 
What about what about Ellen? What's the most memorable thing for a reader about Ellen? Um, I think that Ellen. I think that Ellen grows more than any other character in the in the book, and I think that's that's memorable. That she she allows herself to grow. That she's injured in in so many ways, and yet she she grows. She comes through it, and not only does she grow and comes come through it, but she flourishes. Sure. And we sure. see we see the we see her potential to flourish even more, and and she becomes a she becomes a, a more and more real as her story evolves. Makes sense. Um, what do you think each of these women? Bottom line, want out of life. What's their What's their motivation? What do they want the most of anything? I think they want to be valued. I think they want to be. I think they want to be appreciated for for different aspects of themselves. Okay. And I think they. I mean, I think they want to be happy, but that's sort of you know baseline. I think they want to I think they want to be I think they want to be themselves and to be appreciated for that. I think that's a hard thing to do. Well that that's a hard thing for for any of us and that's definitely something that people would relate to because you know who who doesn't want people in their life to care about them for who they really are. Not maybe not who they want you to be, but who we actually honestly day in and day out are. And that's hard to find. So that would definitely be something that, that people would relate to. Yeah, I guess so. Now, if each of these women was given a chance to describe you as the person and the author, how would they describe you? <laughs> uh, I I think they would describe me as irreverent. Okay. <laughs> Um, how would each 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 collectively how they would describe me, not individually, collectively. Well, each each, each individually. How would each, each one of them? Describe? Oh, I think that that Barbara would describe me as irreverent. She would like that about me. <laughs> um, I think Kay would describe me as compassionate. Mm-hmm. And I think that Ellen would describe me as um, strong. Okay. I, I thought that one might make you think a little bit. I, I love that question. There's, there's some of these that, that are basic questions and other ones that I just love, and I always get like a moment of silence. <laughs> it's a great question. I like that. Because, you know, we, we always think of how we view the character, but if, if things were turned around, and I actually have a, a couple blogs where, where I have people interview one man of the story and one woman of the story, and I ask them there, you know, what, how, would they descri- how, you know how would you describe the author? So what do you think about the person? And you, did, did they do you justice in the book? I was going to say beautiful, but I controlled myself. <laughs> oh, well, we... <laughs> We, I was I was uh, sending your picture out to blog host because uh, I forgot to mention that Phyllis is actually touring with me this month. So we're gonna she's gonna be all over the internet this month talking to people and sharing excerpts from the books and and writing articles and just all kinds of things. And I was sending your picture out last night in the book cover, and it it just cracks me up how mischievous you look in that picture to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I hate having that picture taken. 
So, yes, I, my, I have a mother who loves taking pictures, and I hate having my picture taken. That's been a conflict for too many years at this point. <laughs> so, but she, she knows that at author events she has permission to take my picture. So let me tell you, there's pictures of everything I ever do now. So, so let's, let's get back to the villain. Let's talk about Ellen's mother. Tell us just a little bit for the, for the listeners that, that haven't read the book yet. Tell them a little bit about Ellen's mother. Other than she is a real piece of work, and she is. She's um, cold. She's indifferent. She's relentless. And she's static. And I found that a very interesting aspect of her. This is a woman who has never, never grown. And to me, that's the the worst thing that could happen to anyone. She has remained just resolute in her position on her daughter. Um, she doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't provoke any sympathy because I can't think of the word. She doesn't. She's she's un, unforgiving in every way. She's just unforgiving in every way. She's 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 a perfect villain. You're absolutely right. She's a terrific villain. She's well, and she villain. she's unwilling to bend to see a person in anything other than than her initial way. I mean, mm-hmm. she has a viewpoint about Ellen, and no matter what she ever does in her life, you don't get the feeling her mother's ever going to change her opinion. She's yeah. just not going to see her. She'll she'll never see anything that her daughter accomplishes because she's got this stuck in her head from when she was a kid. And and it seems like she had that opinion her whole childhood. And, you know, of course, right. I'm sure it got worse when her daughter got pregnant, but before right. that, she just, you know... So when you're when you're writing stories, do you prefer to have a bad girl or bad guy as your villain? Um, well, all the guys are bad in some way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think a little worse, but okay. <laughs> I don't know that they're villainous um, as much as frequently the there are male. I have male characters who are have, behave despicably. You know, True. not you know, to to the women in their lives, and or disappointingly in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't have a preference. It, it totally depends on the on on what I'm writing. It totally True. depends on what I'm writing, and 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 I think I will think about my characters differently now because I never really think about having a villain. Oh, but guess, but, but well, that's the thing. If you if you've got conflict, and you definitely got conflict in yeah. this book. Yeah, I never, <laughs> you know, think, I never think of it in, in that word, though, so that's an interesting thing for me to think about. I think it's it's a good thing. I mean, I think I will think in terms of that, of that concept. I think more in terms of, like, the ca- characters being foils for each other, you know. Oh, okay. but, but I never think of them in terms of villain, but I like the idea of thinking of them that way. So I, I, think, I think that gives me more latitude in my writing. Mm-hmm. I, I've got more permission, so to speak, to, to make them even worse and to right. let them do things yeah. that I might not if I was thinking, well, this is one of my good characters. Right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's just, I, I just, like I said, I've, I've got it right down here and I've got Ellen's mother right beside villain, big as life. Yeah. <laughs> so. it's, it's something I will certainly keep in mind from now on. Well, cool. I'm glad I could help. Um, now, what about the book cover? Do you want to describe? Actually, there's a picture of the book cover on the radio show page. Um, but do you want? How, how do you describe the book cover to people who haven't seen it yet? Sexy. <laughs> True. It's sexy but tasteful. 
It's you know it, it is it, it's provocative. It's very very plain. It's a rumpled bed. Um, it's white. The 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 bed the bedding is white. It's suggestive, but it's very tasteful. I was concerned about the book cover, you know, being you know too um, you know too suggestive because I felt that it wouldn't do justice to the to the book. But I think it's. I think it, it, it speaks to the title in a way, and I think it's a good cover. I, I, I like the cover. It's well, and it's so important because, I mean, I, I had one book cover I couldn't stand, and, and I just asked for a couple small changes and was basically blown off by the, the cover artist. And, and you don't have the same feeling when you don't feel great about your cover. You're like, yeah. this is my book, or this is my book. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's very thrilling to see the cover for the first time. It is, very, it yes, is, and especially on, on the actual book. It's just, well, yeah. and I'm, I'm really fortunate that a lot of my covers, I actually got to design them and, or send in and say, this is, this is what I want put together, that kind of thing. And, oh, it's just awesome to see it come together. They actually have got them all over my walls. <laughs> and, you know, you got you to gotta surround yourself with this stuff, right? Absolutely. I, I love it. I love that I have my covers framed and on the wall. Nice. So, did did you say that you designed the cover, or you gave input, or how how did that? No, I had I had the 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 uh, Berkeley Putnam. They they designed it there and they sent it to me. And you know, they asked me what I thought, and happily, I was very happy with the with the cover. But I didn't have any any input in the design, or you know, I mean, I was asked what my vision was, and we talked about it a little bit. But this was nothing like the vision I had. So, what, what was your vision for the cover? Oh, I don't even remember. I think I had this <laughs> idea of like, you know, women, but, you know, sort of like those silhouette characters almost, you know, right. like kind of like speaking to each other, but like behind their hands or something. I mean, this hmm. is so much better, you know, <laughs> this is so really so much better. I mean, I, I'm, I'm good with words. I'm not a, not very good, you know, I'm artistically drawing. So, but this is much better, much better than any of the things I, you know, went through my mind. Well, that's nice. It's nice when mm-hmm. when it's it's even more than you expected. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, it's really lovely. Um, I've got I've got a whole section of questions about best friends. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's amazing the people who include a best friend character, but they don't utilize that person. I think a best friend can be a fantastic addition to a story. Mm-hmm. Um. But you, I mean, you, you utilize best friend all over the place in your books. So, <laughs> because these, these three are very, very good friends. Um, do you think their friendship has a specific purpose in the book? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the, the, the women rely on each other. And I think that I know that for my own life, the women in my life, my my girlfriends, you know, my friends are 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 it's so important to me that I I can't imagine, you know, them not being there. I mean, so I think the the relationships between the women in in my work is very evidently a, a mirror of what I of what I value, what I what I recognize as essential. And these women, these women fight, and they are angry at each other, and there's tension. But there's the core that holds them together is unshakable, and I love that about them. True. Um, 
do you, let me see, how do I want to ask this? How do you think they feel about each other? As far as individuals or as, as friends? How do you think they see one another? Cause well, I think Barbara's, it, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, that's okay. I think, I think that Barbara gets very impatient with Kay. That she thinks that Kay is, you know, uh, too, you know, self-indulgent almost. And that, you know, she has, you know, every, everything, everything she could want and she doesn't appreciate it enough. And I think she gets mad at her. But I also think that Barbara loves Kay's softness. And I think Kay's softness is a, is a foil to Barbara's edginess. Right. And do, okay, uh, do you think that feeling was intensified after Barbara lost her husband? We're going into backstory now, but do you think that yeah. added to her, her, her edginess? Feeling? Well, edginess or, it, oh, her feelings about Kay. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we we can't have experiences, you know, that are significant that don't impact us and change the way we view the world. It's just it's just not possible. You know, well, I'm thinking. Sure. I'm thinking that, like, you know, Barbara had her husband, even though they didn't have the picture perfect relationship. At least she had someone there to help support and raise the family, exactly. that sort of thing. And exactly. but then once he was gone, she sees her best friend basically throwing away a husband who's still there right. and still supportive. So right. I think that 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 would have to have an impact on on how they view each other and that sort of Absolutely. thing. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. You know, you you accept things about your friends. You know, you True. may not always like everything that they do or their things that they say, but you you accept your friends, you love them. You know, it's it's just the 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 way that you move through the world together. You don't you don't um, you don't fault them. I mean, sometimes they get on your nerves, but you know that's 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 more rare. You know, you know it's you you just you when you're circle of friends, you're just close to them. You you understand each other. Right. And I also, I also, I also think that Barbara and Kay see Ellen as very restrained, and they would like her to be less so. She's very secretive, Ellen. I mean, they know nothing about her past. They know right. nothing about her past. She's never, never really shared with them her relationship with her family, and I find that very intriguing because I know people like that. I know people. I know that. I know people who you just don't ask them certain questions. And people right. who I consider really good friends, and you, people put up their their boundaries, you know. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to respect them. Well, and that that definitely adds to to the friendship when you do respect those boundaries because they're they're there for a reason. They may Absolutely. not be the best reason in the world, but there is a reason why those boundaries are there. Right, and and they see those boundaries around Ellen very 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 firm and you know resolute boundaries until until they fall away. True. Well, and, and I think their their road trip together was very revealing about the three of them because you really see that impatience come out when Barbara's dealing with Kay and and then you know they're they're trying to get information out of Ellen since they're going to meet the family in the next few hours you know and and it just it's it's it was a very interesting scene I like that very much. Thank you. So how how do you think these women as individuals would deal with their lives and their problems if they didn't have one another? Hmm. Well, I think that um, Barbara probably would never tell anyone. 
I think she would never reveal that she was an erotica writer. I think she would keep that entirely to herself. I think it's her relationship with these women that enables her to to open up about that, to let mm-hmm. that go. I think that Kay... Um, I think Kay might have left her husband for a period of time if she didn't have, um, or if it was her choice, if she didn't have her friends there to not keep her on the straight and narrow, but to kind of make her ask herself what she had to lose. Kind of keep her more centered or make her focus more. Mm-hmm. We know what's fascinating. I just talked about too is if she wasn't friends with Barbara, she never would have met the other man. That's right. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's generally how that works. <laughs> and I don't know that Ellen ever would have um, taken it upon herself to look for her daughter. I don't think she would have allowed herself to do that. Probably not. Yeah. Probably. Well, and and she's still. I mean, she carries. Um, so much guilt for what happened, even though, I mean, she was 15. What could she possibly have done to change the situation at that time? And then we all know, too, that we've we've made decisions or done certain things or been forced to do certain things. And then after a couple of years, it gets to be so much bigger than us and something exactly. we just cannot handle on our own sometimes. Right. So, I think there's so much shame involved. You know, there was so much shame involved for those girls. I read a lot about the girls who were forced to give up their children. I did a lot. That's, that's something I did research and, right. um, you know, there's a lot of shame involved. And that's so sad. And it's because they are so young, you know, that, that they feel that shame. And that's a terrible thing to carry with you all your life. Well, and, and her mother certainly magnified that for her, Absolutely. too. So. Yeah. Well, that and, and other family members also did, too. So right. she, she didn't right. really have a support system that I saw no. at all. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to hard to... Deal with that kind of thing is you're, I mean, because you're facing enough at 15 and 16 without all of that thrown on top of exactly. you. Exactly, exactly. But, um, um, so are your characters based on any real people? My characters are all based on real people. But okay. I would say that, of you know, simply people, elements of people I know, um, lives of people I know. So you said that your characters are based on real people. Uh, are they based, based on, on aspects of real people, certainly. I think that maybe Gertie is uh, based on a, uh, on someone I know, you know, to some degree. But it's never complete. It's just pieces of right. people, you know. So, I mean, that's why I say they're all based on, on real people, but just pieces of them more than anything else. Well, and, and there's so many neat little. Uh, I, I do that with people and houses in my books. I, I have like little pieces of, of different properties I've seen, and I do that with the people too. So, just use use anything you can when you're creating. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's let's take a few minutes at the end to talk about the kinds of things you do to promote your book. We, well, we've I do dug this. Off the book. Okay. <laughs> I do uh, this, and I've done I've done a number of uh, book clubs which I like doing a lot. Book clubs are, are, are great, uh, great, great fun and for me and just interesting to really you know, per- have personal contact with readers and hear what they have to say. And um, I've done a couple of radio shows. I had um, a contest for the book where people would wrote in their, their um, wrote in secrets. Um, I've done... 
a read several readings, uh, one reading in a bookstore, more or less. That that's what I do. Do you do the the book clubs live over the phone online? How do you do this? I have a, a one do. I've done them live, but I would also do. I also do them over the phone, or I have one coming up actually in Texas, I believe, that will be done over the phone. Cool. How do you, do you want to share with us how you've you've done this sort of thing? Because that's I haven't had anybody talked about that before, so that would be a good thing for for listeners to uh, to know more about. To for book clubs. Yeah. How do you how do you find them? How do you work with them? All that sort of thing. Well, I I generally just ask, you know, I speak to people and they tell me that they're in a book club or they know someone who's in a book club and I tell them that I would be happy to come and speak to their book club, you know, after they read the book. So that's one way of doing it. Um, I've done, um, on, um, on the Internet, I was connected with a book club in Texas that actually wrote in, you know, and um, I think they... I got hooked up with them that way, and we'll be doing a, their book club over the telephone, a half an hour. You 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 offer yourself to book clubs that you'll do over the phone, that you'll do half hour, you know, interviews with them. So Very true. People, right. So people can find it just by going to your to your website, to your, you know, blog. It's not too hard to find anybody these these days. I know. <laughs> not if you find more than you want to about people. That's right. <laughs> That's that's that too much information thing again. So, well, and and let's add too that that in the back of the book, Center's um, Guide to Confession, you also have a guide, a reading guide for book clubs to use. Correct. And I think we we have that on your blog now too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I I sent that out to the woman that requested that this morning, so she's got that information. And my blog address is. Um, phyllisheber.blogspot.com. Very good. So what what kind of things do you like to blog about? Well, I'm just new to this blogging, so that question kind of catches me off guard. I'm sort of... I I like to blog... uh, The thing I find myself most comfortable blogging about is writing, the process of writing. You know, the... the, and, 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 you know, relationships my friendships, those are the things I'm most comfortable with. As I said, I'm just new to this blogging, so I have a very limited repertoire. I know you are. I remember the day you started. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on your own personal blog. I I remember that day. How about that? Yes, I remember that day, too. (laughs) Um, Well, and and I know that that before I I was writing and actually pursuing it seriously, I always wondered how writers, it was, it was such a mystique, you know, how in the world, and, and you know, do, do you have to be like a rocket scientist to write a book, or, you know, it, you've got all these misconceptions, and, and it can be really intimidating, I found, when I wanted to write, because I kept, I kept telling myself for years, I can't do this, I can't do this, it's too hard, which it is an incredible amount of work, and, and I think you really need to take the time to, to learn the craft of writing, how to do it, you know, it's not just putting the words on paper, there's so much more to it. Absolutely. Um, but but having the chance to actually see and learn and understand, there's there's a million processes, easily a million processes to write a book, you know, and, and to give yourself the, the freedom to, to find the way that works for you personally, you know, and I think that, that blogging gives us such a great way to, to be in touch with um, 
potential readers and, and to encourage writers, and especially young writers. Um, I, I know that as a kid, I wish I'd had the opportunity to talk to authors and just kind of kind of get, get myself past all those mental blocks, you know, that, that made me wait 20 years to start doing anything with it. Exactly, exactly. You know, but uh, we we have a local writers conference. It's actually held at a high school, and it's it's done to raise money for literacy programs in the area. And there's always a bunch of um, high school kids there as volunteers, and it's so great to see their enthusiasm and get to talk to them and all that kind of thing. And it just it's it's just it's cool. It's cool to be an author. All yes, even aside from the. Even aside from the the joy of seeing the book the first time and holding it for the first time and all that kind of thing, so so tell us we're down to about three minutes. Tell us what you got coming up in the near future. What what is next after the Sinner's Guide to Confession? Well, in March um, two thousand and nine, Willing Spirits is a, a book I, I wrote that is being re released in paperback, also by Berkeley uh, Putnam Berkeley, and I'm very very excited about that. And it has a really snazzy new cover, and I'm very excited about that book being getting its uh, um, another chance in uh, paperback. So that's coming up, and um, I'm working on a new novel, which I'm very excited about. And I was, ho- I'm hopeful that I can finish in 2000 and, uh, 2009. And um, I have a blog, which I'm, as I said, I'm just getting comfortable with a little bit. So I'm trying to make myself more available to the public that way. And that's about it. And Phyllis, it's been great having you with me today. Thanks, Nikki. It's been great fun. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Phyllis. Now, we'll tell you that at this time on Amazon, the book is still available. Uh, The Kindle edition is available for sale. And used copies of the paperback are also on sale. And the link will be on my website. Just go to www.readyforloveradio.com slash Sinner's Guide. And you'll find it there. And I'll be with you next time on Ready for Love Radio.